If your sexuality had a superpower, what would it be? Okay, that's kind of an odd question, so let me go first. So, for me, my heterosexuality comes with a lot of access privileges, so maybe its superpower would be walking through walls. For author Jen Winston, their bisexuality superpower is a kind of vision. Vision that allows a person to see things that other folks may struggle to see. That has been what bisexuality has become for me, is like a lens to look at the world that extends beyond the way it's presented to us with a lot of binaries. It helps you interrogate the world and sit with the questions and the options that exist and be like, is this for me? Is this what I want? We're like able to look at binary ideas and, and dissect them differently. And that's our so-called confusion. We're confused about where we fit within society's set forth boxes. It's actually a good thing and a superpower. So it's kind of an x-ray vision, kind of like Superman or Supergirl or, I don't know, has there been a non-binary super person yet? Let's get on that, folks. It may not have occurred to many of us that our sexualities can give us special insight. I might be able to pass through walls, but someone like Jen might be able to see through walls that may be entirely opaque to someone like me. Of course, like any good superhero story, power does come at a price. Bisexual struggle in a monosexual world, and in today's interview, Jen shares their difficult experiences as well. A lot of people have told me that everyone is bisexual. Unless you're bi, you don't understand the effect that that has. Like, it like squashes these things that you think about all the time. Like, oh, this is nothing special. And I would say monosexual privilege is, is the same type of thing of not having to ask yourself if your sexuality is valid. When I did come out, I was shocked at the fact that I just felt like a whole person. I didn't realize that that's what bisexuality could be for me. Folks, this is contemporary history today. The experience of one bisexual person and what it's like to live and struggle and see through that lens. For a more historical approach, see our episode, The First Bisexual Erasure, question mark, from our Sex in the Third Reich series, which gives a brief history of bisexuality from the ancient world all the way up to the present day. Then come back to this interview episode for a modern perspective. But there is a theme today that comes up again and again, which will be familiar to history buffs, especially longtime listeners of this show, who have heard time and time again how, until the modern era, sexuality was always seen as a behavior, not an identity, something that you do, not something that you are. Well, you may be surprised to hear that bisexuals still often struggle with this very same portrayal even today. How can that be? And what does that feel like? Jen is here to tell you all about that and a whole lot more. That's what we're talking about in today's interview episode. I'm BT Newberg, and this is the history of sex. <laughs> History of Sex is sponsored by Dr. Jillian Kenny, historian of women, sex, and magic in medieval Europe. I'd like to thank our patron, Corey Crumray Erickson, for making this episode possible. 
Hey folks, this interview is both light and heavy, fun and serious, so just a quick content warning that the topic of sexual assault does come up. Nothing described in graphic detail, but use your own judgment. All right, let's get into it. So Jen identifies as bisexual and non-binary, and their preferred pronouns are she, they, meaning comfortable with either she, her, or they, them. As described on their book website, Jen Winston, she, they, is a writer, creative director, and bisexual based in Brooklyn. Their work bridges the intersection of sex, politics, and technology in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, CNN, and more. Jen is passionate about unlearning and creating work that helps others to do the same. Her newsletter, The Bi-Monthly, is dedicated to exploring bi issues and experiences. It comes out every month, much like Jen herself. Follow Jen on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Please, she's begging you. She is at generous, and it's generous with a J. Folks, they sent me a copy of Jen's book, Greedy, Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much, and frankly, I got hooked. <laughs> it's full of wit. For example, one of the opening quotes is, There are no closer shelves in the bookstore than dating and horror. <laughs> and there's also an entire chapter just titled, Bad at Sex. So... That kind of gives you an idea of what kind of book you'd be getting into. I found myself drawn in, and now my wife is reading it too. And I've got friends and family that are probably going to get a certain Christmas present this year as well. What is it like to live as a bisexual in today's world? Well, Jen is here to tell us all about their experience, at least. So with no further ado, let's get to the interview. <laughs> Well, Jen Winston, thank you very much for being on the show. Yay, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because, you know, anytime we can get bisexuals on the show to talk about that, definitely want to do that. That's like music to my ears. And I see why that is. Like, um, I mean, there's been so much bi erasure throughout history. Like Freddie Mercury is like such a an example that people point to all the time because uh, he's often like portrayed as being gay or like talked about as being gay, but he proudly identified as bi. And another one I found out recently is Lou Reed. I actually, I just watched the Velvet Underground documentary and I had no idea that Lou Reed was bisexual or like that most people in Lou Reed's life thought that Lou Reed was bisexual. Now we're coming out Out of our closets Well, one of the most interesting things I have to say about reading your book, Jen, you know, which for listeners, Jen's book is autobiographical. It is wicked funny, but it's also serious at times. The thing that was really interesting for me is you, you really don't try to reduce your experience in some kind of like educate kind of way. It's much more like here I am, you know, and even the title of your book, Greedy, is like clearly not pretending I'm perfect here. So, I mean, the story is complicated, it's confusing, it's exploratory, it's fumbling. So can you tell me a little bit about that struggle and what it was like for you to sort of realize and accept your bisexuality? Yes. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, I think you summed it up well, because that kind of is where I'm at with my bisexuality now, is like recognizing that bisexuality is really about embracing confusion and not like fighting confusion and realizing that you don't have all the answers and that you're but also being open-minded to more options 
and more ways to live your life. Um, and I think growing up, I like didn't really even think that bisexuality was a valid thing that someone could be. I saw a lot of like queer representation on TV, I guess, that looked like a woman in a relationship with a man would like like hook up with a, another woman and like be a homewrecker and it would be like a transgression or like a, a mistake. Um, and that is actually a very common bisexual trope. Another common bisexual trope is murderous bisexuals, which is like kind of funny to me now. <laughs> I'm like, great. Like Jennifer's body is an iconic uh, piece of pop culture featuring a murderous bisexual. I am going to eat your soul. I thought you only murdered boys. I go both ways. But bisexuality in TV and, and movies also has this other layer where it's never like named as bisexuality. It's ne they never say like this person who goes and, and has like an affair with another woman and then like is a homewrecker. She would never say like I'm bisexual and this is who I am. It's always just bisexuality is portrayed as a behavior rather than an identity. So at the time I, I just thought like, oh, there's no need for me to like open up a can of worms about this attraction to women because everyone has that attraction to women. I didn't see it named anywhere, so I didn't think that it was anything special. And there's often, even in the process of writing this book, a lot of people have told me that everyone is bisexual. You know, they say it kind of as a like, they, they think they're like, being relatable to me or or giving me like a compliment that like my subject matter is welcome but what they're really saying is like no one is bisexual and bisexuality isn't worth discussing and so it's a really interesting uh that that's something that really kept me from coming out for and and owning my sexuality for a really long time yeah as you say like the people saying it are probably trying to be like inclusive when they say it but just not quite getting it yeah, and I think you don't, un unless you're bi, you don't understand the effect that that has. Like, it like squashes these things that you think about all the time. Like, oh, this is nothing special. And like the same thing happened when I grew up and I wanted to have threesomes. Like I, I thought that that made me more straight instead of realizing that, oh, that, that might've indicated that I was queer. Um, because there's been kind of this like co-opting of, of threesomes as something that, uh, that is like something that women will do for men often. Um, so at least like I, I, was presenting as a woman at the time and like very much identified as a woman at the time um, and a straight woman at that. And I never felt like my desire to have threesomes made me queer or could have been an indicator I was queer. Now down the fence and, and then there's also this dialogue that, so even as a bi person, there's this idea that you have to be the opposite of what a bisexual stereotype is. You have to like, myth bust as they call it like you have to say bi people are not greedy we're not confused and and that actually is true like 80 percent of bisexual women are in monogamous relationships but at the same time if you're not if you're like a non-monogamous bisexual person like that's fine and there's there's been this kind of push in bisexual rights that has been like trying to say that we're the opposite of all these stereotypes that people think we are 
Um, but what really changed my journey and uh, made me feel proud to be bisexual was discovering the work of Shiri Eisner, who's a bisexual theorist and writer who wrote a book called by notes for a bisexual revolution. Um, and so Shiri has this quote that I find so empowering where they say, bisexual confusion can act as a destabilizing agent of social change um, just because it causes us to like get comfortable sitting between these binary ideas and binary norms that we're so used to or like these, these boxes of gender roles or these boxes of straight and gay. Um, and really that has been what bisexuality has become for me is like a lens to look at the world that extends beyond its binary, the way it's presented to us with a lot of binaries. Yeah, I can definitely imagine that. So Jen, I have basically a million questions for you, <laughs> but here's the one that I really want to know. So what is the thing that I never knew that I wanted to know? about bisexuality so you know like what's the thing that people don't even think to ask unless they are act actually themselves bisexuals but maybe that bisexuals might wish that they asked what would you say like what's that one thing that we don't even think to ask yeah i mean there's there's a lot <laughs> um i think probably the the first thing that comes to mind for me with this is that the bisexual community experiences oppression because they're bisexual. So I think often people talk about this idea of bi privilege. Um, whereas like if you're a bi person and you're in a relationship that presents as straight, you don't have to walk through the world being oppressed uh, as a, a gay or lesbian or queer person, um, which is true. But bi privilege isn't like the notion of bi privilege is an incredibly reductive idea because it overlooks all these other experiences that bi people face. Um, like nearly half of bisexual women are sexual assault survivors compared to 17% of straight women and 13% of lesbians. The statistic that Jen just quoted comes from the 2010 National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey from the CDC. I looked it up and yes, they are dead on. The rate of sexual assault for straight women is 17.4%, for homosexual women, 13.1%, but for bisexual women, it's 46.1%. That's more than double the rate for straight women and more than triple that for lesbians. How could that be? The survey only reports rates. It doesn't speculate why, but let's see what Jen has to say in terms of why that is. So I actually had an early editor of my book ask me that. They were like, why Why are these statistics so bad? Like these are shocking to me and I don't necessarily like believe that bisexuality is, is strong enough to be causal in this sense. And I felt the same. I was like, I have no idea why these things are true. But when I looked at my own life, they added up. I looked at my own life and I was like, why do I feel like this statistic is true for me? And I realized it's because I put myself in a lot of really risky sexual scenarios because I was trying to figure something out and I didn't know what was like wrong with me, I guess, <laughs> quote wrong. Um, I didn't know what was different or what I was looking for to be like fully realized. And having more sex was one of the ways to figure that out. And I think there's also this issue, especially with uh, femme 
presenting bisexuals and and uh, bisexual women, uh, where there you don't know what is being what is fetishization and what is that behavior of bisexuality that you're doing for the sake of men, um, and what is something that you intrinsically want. And that confused me for a very long time um, about myself and and what I wanted and why I wanted it, and. I definitely, like, those scenarios led to several sexual assault scenarios, some of which are, are written in the book with with content warnings. Um, and I probably should have given a content warning prior to this, this section. But uh, I think so often when we get a statistic about identity, it's presented to us in the form of correlation. Um, like when we hear that LGBTQ plus youth experience homelessness at a higher rate, which is like... Mm-hmm obviously devastating, but we can put together why that is. You know, we have the the coverage and the understanding that there are a number of reasons that might be true, like that there are a number of ways the broader LGBTQ plus community is oppressed. But because we don't talk about the ways that bisexual people are disenfranchised and uh, overlooked, we don't see those types of statistics as being valid for bi people. And I'm grateful that there's been a lot more coverage, like the New York Times did two really big pieces about bisexuality, one on Bi-Visibility Day, one uh, even before, which is great. (laughs) Anytime they're talking about bi people that's not on like the one day of the year they're supposed to talk about us, that's like amazing. Um, But um, yeah, that really like confused me and threw me off for a really long time. Um, So I guess wrapped up in that is a bunch of things that I that I think you would want to know about bisexuality. Right. So just just generally recognizing the amount of oppression that happens to bisexual people, which is just not generally part of the public discourse. Like you just don't hear about it. Right. And like you said, yeah. your editor, yourself, and me too, when I read that in your book, you're like, wait, how can this be? Totally. And I mean, I, I almost like wanted people to feel that because that's how I felt. I was like, whoa, this is like a thing. And it was really mind-blowing to to feel validated by those statistics and um, to kind of see myself in them and be like, oh, I'm not just like a mess. Like, <laughs> I'm a bisexual person in a monosexual society. Got no time to live a lie. I should have said this earlier, but when I'm talking about uh, bisexual people, um, I'm always referring to the bi plus uh, community and the multisexual community at large. Um, but when when I talk about bi representation and like what I want from that, I want people to use the specific word bi because for me, I needed that word. And I think all types of sexualities and, and gender identities deserve similar representation where the the word that aligns with who you are inside uh is is spoken about in a pop culture like easy to consume context because that's where we form our identities of ourselves and so so often uh tv writers will think that just because they're showing someone have relationships with people of multiple genders that they're like checking off the box of bi representation but for me, that's far from enough. Like that, I I always felt like I was that, but I was never going to come out because of it. Um, and so it it wasn't enough to help me really see who I was. 
right? So even like the word pansexual, which is intended to kind of like get beyond the binary implied by bi, and when you say by plus like you're kind of including that yeah so actually that would be another thing i want to make sure people know about bisexuality this was like the second thing that came to mind is that um bisexuality it hasn't like always been this way but large parts of the movement have been this way bisexuality refers to being attracted to more than one gender it is not necessarily uh being attracted to only men and women and i'm I identify as non-binary and I'm a non-binary bisexual and as is my partner. Um, and we love, we, we see those identities as, um, well, I guess I just, I should just speak about myself. <laughs> and I see both of those identities as being really uh, overlapping in the way that they uh, bring us to look at the world. Like bi bisexuality for me has been about sitting beyond binaries and, and looking at the world uh, at at the spaces in between and the spaces beyond and seeing what I can create out of them. I relate to it in a lot of the ways that other non-binary people relate to their gender of like, it helps you interrogate the world and sit with uh, the questions and the options that exist and be like, is this for me? Is this what I want? Mm -hmm. It's like a reference point, an anchor. Yeah. Yes. And to the point about pansexuality, like a lot of people will then be like, well, what's the difference between bisexual people and pansexual people? The truth is that it's it's really just a preference. And I do think there are some people in the bisexual community who still think of it as a binary term. And that's really frustrating to me. And I, I see that as my work as a bi person to try to bring a gender expansive consciousness and awareness to my bisexual brethren, I guess. Um, but, uh, I support the pan community a hundred percent. There's like, there's been a long like rivalry, I guess, like that I, I just haven't been like really engaged with. And I'm like, no, everybody's like, whatever works for you. Like we're all in this together. <laughs> right. We're all the same team. An additional thing would be. It, well, this is almost for bisexual people who don't who haven't like fully realized their sexuality or, or come out yet. But well, yeah, let's do that. That's that's part of what this show is for. Yeah. And I think um, monosexism is a huge like it, it can hold a lot of people back. Basically, what it means is that if you are straight or you're gay or, or lesbian, if, if you're only sexually attracted to one gender, then your sexuality is seen as more valid. And monosexism is the reason that when bisexual people are in a relationship that presents as heterosexual, um, they are dismissed as straight. And when they're in a relationship that presents as gay, they're dismissed as gay or lesbian. Um, it's because we see like, I, we see sexuality as something we can like visualize and not something broad that we have to kind of sit with and understand. Yeah. And if you're if you're looking at a couple and there's only two people there, you know, the immediate thing that comes to mind is what are their specific gender presentations, not that there could be other things that they are each individually interested in. Yes, exactly. And my like I present as a woman like 100%. Um, but I am very much a queer person and a, a non binary person and a bisexual person. And mm -hmm. What's really interesting is that a lot of bi people in monogamous relationships 
don't feel the need to come out unless they want to like act on their bisexuality. And I think that goes back to the idea that it's so often seen as a behavior or something you do rather than something you are. Because th that's another reason it took me so me so long to come out because because I didn't want to like out myself as having this behavior because I I felt like it was, you know, not something to talk about in the workplace or to my parents. And when I did come out, I was shocked at the fact that I just felt like a whole person. And I didn't see, I didn't realize that that's what bisexuality could be for me. Like it could actually be a real thing that helped me feel more like myself. Um, and so that, that would be my advice to we call them the baby buys, um, who, <laughs> who are, um, trying to figure out your sexuality or if you think you might be bisexual, like, or if you know you're bisexual and you're like, what's the point in coming out? Like the point in coming out, if, if it's safe for you to do so, I'm not going to like urge anyone to come out outside of, uh, what works for them, but oh my God, it feels so good. It feels amazing. And I think other types of LGBTQ plus identities get this, uh, like it's it's seen as very socially acceptable to come out. But for bi people, there's this you, like I thought everyone was going to think I was just asking for attention or like that I was making a big deal. I thought people were going to be like, everyone's bi. Why are you even saying this? But what what happened was a few, I got a few like DMs from people. I came out on Instagram because like I'm a millennial. But um, I got a few DMs from people who were like, oh, my God, I relate to this so much. I'm bi and I've never told anyone. Thank you for saying this. Like, wow, I'm so proud of you. Like the reception was was what I would have wanted, which is amazing and also like super reflective of a variety of other privileges in my life. But it, it just was something that I, I had no idea how good it could be. Uh, to be out as a as a bi person, like I really thought there would be no difference, but there was a huge difference, and it was just within myself. Like nothing about the way I engage with the world really changed. Yeah, and also, you know, on the topic of coming out or not, I find it really interesting that there's this kind of dichotomy, much more socially questionable to do that as that male persona than yeah. necessarily as the female persona, both historically and today as well still remains like much more risky for the guy quote unquote to do that. Yeah, and I I think they're very different challenges that uh bisexual men and bisexual women face, but both of them can kind of be summed up by what patriarchy wants our genders to to do. For bisexual women, there's this like idea of being fetishized um and this idea that you're going through a phase. And then for bisexual men, um, there's this idea that you're actually gay um, and that you're like not making a firm decision, which is something I learned from Sherry Eisner is like is indecision is seen as a feminine trait. So it's inherently like undermining your masculinity if you like can't decide, quote unquote. So that's a really unique thing that bisexual men face. So speaking of genders there, um, there's something that I would love to ask you about. So, you know, this show is about sex and gender, obviously, and those are two separate concepts. But, you know, bisexuality, having sex right there in the name really seems like it belongs in that first box, the sex part. But it's not really that simple, is it? And, you know, I heard you mention on a different podcast that uh, the name of the podcast is LGBTQ&A, which 
I listened to it as prep for this show because you had an interview on there, and now I really love it, so I recommend it to everybody. But anyway, in that interview, I heard you say that the bisexual movement has always been gender expansive and gender inclusive, like historically. So, you know, especially since this is a history show, would you mind expanding on that a little bit? You know, the historical overlap between sexuality on one hand and gender on the other in the bi community. Sure. So I, I kind of fumbled a bit with that because I don't think it's always been that way. Um, I, it's actually like parts of it have been, um, but there's always been like a sort of binary uh, approach to it. Um, but there are a lot more aspects of it and of historical bi activism that have included uh, like a more gender expansive point of view. Bisexuality is often talked about and often shown with like two genders and it's often seen as like reinforcing the binary, um, which for me was another reason it took me so long to come out. Because I was like, I don't want my identity or my sexuality to reinforce that other peoples don't exist. Um, and this was before I myself identified as non-binary. Maybe I should be pan. I was That's what I was thinking. But I didn't really resonate with that word and it didn't hit me the right way. And it wasn't the one that like spoke to me. Even though I was definitely attracted to non-binary people. And non-binary people can look any type of way. So it's not really fair for anyone to exclude non-binary people from their sexuality. I but I just didn't really know what to make of that. And so I started like googling it. To, I was like I'm sure I'm not the first person who's had this issue. Um and I found a lot of really amazing by activism, a lot of it from genderqueer bisexual people who have sort of written about different ways of what the word bi means to them. Um Julia Serrano, who is a trans bi activist, wrote a really interesting take on the the bi in bisexuality. And she said that it refers to uh, the straight and gay communities, which I think is another really interesting way to think about it. Don't tell me that I'm confused. I am choosing not to choose. Oh, and so another thing. Um, at the end of my book, I sort of like come to the revelation that I am non-binary and that I'm allowed to claim that term regardless of how I present. And it was something that I thought was like a unique experience for me. And then I was served a TikTok that uh, was basically, it was, it was someone sitting there and they were like, me finally figuring out that I'm bisexual. And they were like looking happy. And then it cut to a scene of, of them walking in the side door and it was like, questions about my gender. Then they like scared themselves. Was, that was the plot of the TikTok. Um, and I found that there were so many of these, like of the exact format of like finally figuring out I'm bisexual, now starting to question my gender. And I think that that is a common journey for bi people because bisexuality gives us these tools. Once we finally get to make peace with our, our bisexuality, we have these tools in our arsenal where we're like able to look at binary ideas and, and dissect them differently and and check in with ourselves and see what we're comfortable with. And that's our so-called confusion um, because we're not confused about the fact that we're bi. We're confused about where we fit within society's set forth boxes. And so it's actually a good thing and a superpower. So that sounds to me like basically once you recognize and own the fact that you're 
bisexual. Like it, it sort of forces you to ask questions about yourself and to go through that mental process where people who are not that kind of have the privilege to not have to think about it, you know, especially like straight cis people like myself, like we don't have that forced into our face, at least not very often, right? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like, I think that is why it's a superpower because it gave me the tools to see things that weren't there before. And like, uh, this is a small example, but my partner exclusively uses they, them pronouns. And I think if I weren't bisexual, I would have really struggled with using those pronouns. And this is not to say that like all bisexual people should be good at using they, them pronouns, or well, everyone should be, but that's not to say that all bisexual people are or that all non-bisexual people are not. But I, for me personally, it was really helpful to be like, oh yeah, I understand what it's like to be outside of the binary expectations. If If bisexual people didn't have to like, find our way, then we wouldn't be so good at finding our way later. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it, it's, you're forced into this journey, but once you're on the journey, there's a lot of things that you discover. Yeah. So the last thing, Jen, that I want to talk about is how much I identified with the scene in your book, which I think a lot of people can probably identify with today, a scene in your book where you were at a Beyond the Binary workshop, so like a diversity workshop specifically about you know, gender binary. And when the topic of cisgender privilege was explained, as you say in your book, inside you were thinking, oh, but outside you were like straight faced and just trying to present like, I don't, you know, I don't want to let on that I don't already know what this is. And, you know, I think that's a position that a lot of us, like certainly myself, maybe all of us find ourselves in when we come up against something new and you know, you want to put on that public face like you're not the ignorant one who needs to learn, like somehow you magically just already know. But, you know, sometimes you do have to just let yourself be dumb in order to get smart and to ask the dumb questions in order to learn. So what was that experience like for you? And also, oh, by the way, dumb question, what is cisgender privilege? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a great question, actually. Um, and I do want to point out, because I think this is relevant to the topic, uh, and someone had to point this out to me, that even the word dumb is kind of an ableist word. And I used to say it all the time, and someone like called me out. And so I'm really grateful for people who've held me accountable, especially when it's been done in a kind way um, by people who share my identity. Like if someone is, is of a group like affected or impacted by me doing something wrong, like uh, they can react however they want, you know. But when it's someone who we share the same identity-based privileges around a certain topic, like I really appreciate people coming to me with kindness. But for me, getting comfortable unlearning has been the greatest gift and also the hardest thing that I've ever done. I've learned a lot from the internet and from educators like Erica Hart, who was running that Beyond the Binary workshop. So much of my privilege was tied up with uh, like the way that I saw the world in these binary ways. Like um, I was so proud to identify as a woman. Like I was such a proud woman at the at the women's march in 2017 and um, for the year following that and now I like think I look back on that and I'm like wow like 
That's embarrassing because that's not how I identify. And it also was pretty reductive of a lot of people's experiences. Like I, I spoke in a way that really just centered myself. And to the question of what is this gender privilege, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about bisexuality forces us to ask questions. It forces bi people to ask questions. The way this workshop went, uh, Erica Hart asked us what gender we identified as, when we knew we were that gender, and how we knew. And I answered that I was a woman and that I'd known that my whole life. And then when asked how I knew, I was like, uh, I I don't know, um, because somebody told me, I guess. Like, um, And pretty much since then, I've been thinking about what it means to to be a woman. And cisgender privilege is not having to ask those questions from an early age and not having to sit with all those things. It's a, it's many other things too, like physical safety and so on. But it, it's also not having to ask questions about how you experience the world. Um, and I would say monosexual privilege is, is the same type of thing of not having to ask yourself if your sexuality is valid or if it's uh, real or if you're uh, doing enough of it. And again, it's like, you know, it's nice to not have to ask those questions, but it also means you don't explore or interrogate the way the world was presented to you. And so I'm really grateful for that workshop. Erica is a non-binary femme um, and presented that dialogue and like really challenged my worldview because then I had to ask like, what what is a woman? How do you define being a woman? And I realized that like, I couldn't define it and thus it would never be something that I could like live up to outside of like very patriarchal ideas. I also hate cooking, which has been a weirdly formative idea around my own gender perception. Like last week I I burnt or I I didn't cook through a, a chicken breast fully and it like sent me on a spiral. <laughs> It was terrible. My partner was very supportive, but I was like, oh my God, I'm 33 and I can't do this. And um, it was not just that you felt bad that you didn't cook it all the way through, but you felt bad as a female presenting person. I felt bad because, yeah, I can't, I'm not a good housewife, quote unquote. And there's this part of me that still wants to be that even in a queer relationship. And I yeah, I, I wanted to be like a housewife, quote unquote. And that's according to the patriarchal idea of a housewife. So actually recently I bought a shirt from this amazing designer uh, that says it's like an apron top embroidered and it says, I hate cooking and I am like obsessed with it. <laughs> so that's like, I'm, I'm trying to embrace that, but also I like need to learn to cook. But it, it really has been at odds with, my gender my whole life and it's made me feel uncomfortable in my own skin and and then when you look at that you realize how fragile of an idea gender is for for all of us and so for me bisexuality has helped me have those conversations and come to them with more questions than answers yeah i like how you put that and i also want to i want to go back to right at the beginning of uh that answer that you just gave um and i want to say i appreciated how you mentioned that the word dumb could be seen as an ableist term. I hadn't thought about it that way. And I appreciated the way that you said that to me because it was like no hint of judgment or anything. And now I just like, yeah. oh, I see that how that association could be made. And I could have phrased that differently. And now I know that I will. 
My my so my friend Eden, who's mentioned throughout the book, has been so helpful to me in terms of calling me out with kindness. Sometimes they say calling you in. But oh my God, she's like helped me learn and realize so many things and also learn how to do that with kindness because it's like, it's not like I like came out of the womb knowing that like that term could be ableist. Like, so totally. Thank you for saying that. I'm glad that, that it was well received. I like had to learn that fairly recently. Well, Jen, thank you so much for this conversation. I've learned a lot and it's, you know, it's just great to have someone like yourself on the show that can actually, um, you know, articulate with both knowledge, experience and wit, you know, what what the experience is for one bisexual person. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you saying just one bisexual person because I by no means want to present that my story is everyone's story, but I hope that it helps more bisexual stories get made and get told. So Jen, is there anything else that you want our audience to know? And also, where can they find your book or find you if they have questions? Sure. Um, I guess I want the audience to know that if you are bisexual or if someone in your life is bisexual... They're amazing. You're amazing. Uh, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of all the bisexual people listening and all the bisexual people in listeners' lives Um, because it's no easy feat to be proudly bisexual in this world. Um, And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok these days at generous with a J. And you can buy my book, Greedy, Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much, wherever books are sold. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter, which is called The Bi-Monthly, at thebimonthly.substack.com. Cool. Thank you very much for being here today, Jen. Thank you for having me. On that last question, I liked how in an attempt to ask about asking ignorant questions, I inadvertently asked an ignorant question. And of course, immediately I felt this impulse like, oh no, I can't include that. But of course I'm going to include that. That's the whole point. Just like in Jen's book, we're not perfect. We're confused. We're fumbling. And that's how we learn. And I was grateful that we got Jen on tape, so to speak, providing a model for how to call someone out with kindness because we need more of that in the world. And I really liked Jen's superpower, as she put it, that vision gained by being forced to confront binary questions and thus being able to see more deeply into those issues than others, more so than straight folks, even more so than some queer folks. So yeah, maybe, I guess, bisexuals have a superpower. We probably all have superpowers in our own way, if we just look at them the way that Jen does. But these powers do come with a price. Bisexuals do confront unique challenges and even today still suffer from their sexuality often being portrayed in movies as a behavior rather than an identity. You know, not that different from how it was for everyone prior to the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Now, was the experience identical? No, not likely. But it does make you wonder 
and maybe it gives some insight into that historical experience, and we can see a little bit through that lens of that superpower vision. Well, that's all for today, folks. The theme music for this episode was Gettin' By by Peter Hayden and James J. Dominguez. You can find them on the Stand By Us Forum channel on YouTube, and by is spelled B-I, of course. Next month, we will be back with more of our deep dive series, Sex in the Wild West, so you can look forward to that. I know I promised this month would be an episode about cross-dressing. I promised that if all goes well, and it didn't. <laughs> so I kept my promise, I guess. Uh, the, the episode is actually coming together really nicely, just life got in the way. So next month will be our episode on cross-dressers in the Wild West. All right, I'll see you then. I'm BT Newberg, and this is the history of sex. Podcast theme music mixed from tracks by Kevin McLeod. For additional credits, references, photos, and more, see our website at www.historyofsexpod.com.